All right. My guests today are Davidian Bishop, the director of the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Resource Center, also known as the LGBTRS. And with him is Ash Preston, program coordinator at the LGBT Resource Center. Welcome, Davidian and Ash. How are you today? Doing really well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's been a good day. Thanks for inviting us today. You're very welcome. I've been looking forward to you guys coming on the show because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and people are wondering and people are nervous. And I wanted an opportunity to talk to you guys and see what the center is all about. So Davidian, could you please just give us a little bit of an overview? Sure. So the LGBT Resource Center is about 21 years old now. And originally it was created, students camped out for a long time in Aldrich Park for the purposes of trying to get resources allocated. They felt it was important. It was critical. And we got resources allocated, had the first director back in 95 and 96. And I've been involved with the center for almost 20 years. The reason a center exists is that there are folks who identify as queer in some way, lesbian, gay, bisexual, fluid identities. And we also have trans folk and a multiplicity of other identities as well. And our goal is to have a safe space for them to go. Our culture isn't always kind or supportive of folks. People may be clear in their own identity about who they are and not have an opportunity to be honest about that. Sometimes family would not accept it. Sometimes cultural norms prevent it. Sometimes racialized identities don't allow for it. Sometimes religious identities don't. There's a lot of different groups that we belong to and not all of them are gonna accept for one reason or another what it is to be queer or what it is to be trans or non-binary. Where has the center gone in 20 years since you've been there? Yeah. Well, it started out originally as just, like I said, a safe place. The original goal was just to allow people who identify in some way as LGBT. And even back in the day, it was T was not even included. The trans identity was just not really seen in the same way. And we're growing and evolving every year. But it was a place for people to go so that they didn't feel isolated. I think when we think about how most folks, straight folks, meet and find connections, they can turn on the television, the news, witness their own parents to learn how to meet somebody, fall in love, get married, have kids. The model's a little bit different for folks that are queer. We don't have those same kind of models. It's getting better, but 20 years ago, you know, when I was first coming out, the only place you could go was a club or a bar. And even then, they got raided by the police. So it was a very different time, and there's still a lot of hostility. So just to have a place for people to go who might not otherwise be able to connect with other people and learn what does it even mean to be gay, to be lesbian, to be bisexual? What does it mean to be trans? And to be in community with people that can share their lived experiences and support each other. For instance, get a lot of students that come in that knew that they were in some way LGBT, but never had a chance to tell another person. And then they get to the campus, they come to the center, and they're meeting other people, so they get to share that experience and learn from each other about, wow, how did you tell your family? How did you, And when you graduate, how do you tell your first person on the job? Are you out on the job or are you not out on the job? So the center is really primarily a place for people to meet and just find community and learn how to be in community. The other parts that are really significant about the LGBT Resource Center are that we change policy. So going back 20 years ago, one of the first jobs of the LGBT Resource Center was same-sex couples were not allowed to have housing together. They weren't able to live together. So married couples could come and to get their PhDs here at UCI and live together if they were straight and if they were a man and a woman in marriage. But if you were a gay couple or if you were a lesbian couple or however you identified, you couldn't cohabitate. So we had to fight for that. Then working to get benefits for people. You know, a lot of employees at UCI back in the day 
had the ability to provide benefits for their spouses or their children, but domestic partners or, or otherwise relationships weren't there. So we've done a lot of groundbreaking over the years. Recently, with the emergence of trans issues coming to the forefront as really requiring a lot of attention because of how marginalized these communities can be by our culture, the bathroom issue has come up, right? People, everybody needs to pee, we're all human. But for some reason, the culture seems to be saying that certain people have the right to use bathrooms and we get to dictate who those people are. So we've worked really hard and we're one of the first campuses in the UC system back in 09 when I first started to start working on gender inclusive bathrooms so that people would have a safe place to go to the bathroom. Literally had students who would not have breakfast, not have something to drink and go six hours through classes without any kind of sustenance or something to drink because there was no safe place for them to go to the bathroom. And they had an identity that was non-binary or trans and they didn't feel safe going into a restroom. So they simply weren't taking care of basic biological needs. So we're working on that. Mm. And I want to be sure and give you a chance to add thoughts. Yeah, I think the Vedian was able to get a lot of what our center is. And I think the other big component of what our center does is provide programming for students at UCI. And so we want to provide programming that helps both educate our students and help them in their identity development as well. And so looking at specific identities, looking at the intersections of identities as well, race, gender, sexual orientation, class, everything that goes into it, and providing a space for students to both learn from each other and then learn from us at the same time. And so we really want to help move them forward. They're here to learn both academically but also socially as well. Where does the line get drawn for psychology or counseling and what your center does? I think for our center, we're not a counseling center. We are a resource center. We provide programming. We provide resources. We have connections to folks across the campus to connect our students and faculty and staff to. And when it comes to counseling, we can be an ear to listen to. We can be someone there to talk you through something you're processing. But at the end of the day, we're not trained counselors, but we do have a close connection with our counseling center here on campus. And we actually have our counselor, Katie, who does drop-in hours with us at our center, um, specifically for our students to come in and just have a very natural conversation, just go in, talk with her. And if they need something else, she helps them get connected and get more appointments. But it's a um, easier access for our students, definitely. If you were to look at our calendar of weekly events, we do a lot of identity groups. We do a ton of identity groups. So we have on Mondays, we have Guy Talk, which is for folks that are masculine or male aligned. Obviously, I didn't say that are men because we have a lot of folks that are in the community that may not necessarily may have been male assigned at birth, but they may identify somewhere along the line. Maybe they were born female assigned at birth, but they align as a masculine person. So we have a space for male identified folks. We have a space for female aligned folks. We have a place for asexual and aromantic folks, which we can talk a little bit about. We have a space that's specific for non-binary and trans identified folks and people that are questioning. We have a space for everybody that's queer. We have a space for people that are people of color that identify as queer or trans. We have games group. We have a bipan and fluid group. We have a space that's specifically for white folks that are practicing anti-racism, that are really working to try and be better allies. There's a lot of stuff that we do that is identity development. And if you were to come to those spaces, you might it might feel a little bit like a group. Like it's not therapeutic, but for people that are struggling with similar issues, when you when you come together to try and express what does it feel like to be queer and Asian? How is that different than the experience of being queer and black or being queer and a person with a disability? All of those have very different things. And the other communities that we belong to have their own sense of morals and values and 
the way a community is supposed to function. And a lot of times LGBT folks struggle with fitting into their other larger groups. So they come together and get a chance to talk. So they're sharing and processing, but mostly it's fun, mostly it's light, and it's a place to develop family and community. If you joined us late, you are listening to UCI Conversations with LGBT Resource Center representatives Davidian Bishop and Ash Preston. You touched on transsexual. Can you enlighten us a little bit about what that's about? So currently the word transsexual is kind of fading out of vocabulary a little bit. It's still used definitely by some of the older folks in the trans community, but typically folks say transgender now. That's the term that's used most often. And so one of our one of the main identity groups that we work with are trans students. And so trans is short for transgender and it's a big umbrella term. So it includes folks who are in the binary with their transition, who are non-binary. So non-binary means um, folks who don't identify as male or female. They identify maybe somewhere in the middle, maybe outside of the gender binary as a whole. Gender binary being just the two options that were given at birth. And they see themselves as something outside of that. And we can go into a big deconstruction of what gender is and how society really constructs everything around us. But at the end of the day, what our center is trying to do for our trans students and for um, other folks around the campus is really to provide a space in our tea time to talk with other folks who are trans, to get tips on maybe what endocrinologists to go to or counselor to go to, to just make friends who understand your experience overall and just building community. And so that's one main component of what our center does is help folks who don't who don't identify as cisgender or folks who identify with the gender they were assigned it with at birth. Cis is just an equivalent term in the same way that we would say there are gay, bi, lesbian folks or queer folks. And then we would say there are straight folks, right? There's an equivalency term so that it's not, we're not just saying there are transgender folks and then the rest of us or the others. Like there's cis folks and there are trans folks generally. And then there are questioning folks. I'm thinking just in terms of like kind of the broader question, I think what's happening with transgender folks I think have always existed. The problem is that it hasn't always been safe. If we go back and look at kind of queer history, we know that there were times in history where in the United States, they would have said there are no LGBT folks at all. They simply don't exist. Our families, if you go back and talk to your grandparents, they'd say there was never a gay person around. Sometimes you would see or you would know there might be, and you know, this is a stereotype, but there would be an assumption, somebody who might be in the theater or somebody who was a florist or somebody that cut hair. There were certain professions that were designated that it was allowable. There was some leeway to exist. It was permissible. I think that as we've evolved, it's not that there are more gay people than there ever were before or bi or queer or trans folks. It's just we're, I kind of described earlier when I first came out, I went into my first club to try and meet other gay people because there wasn't the Internet. There wasn't the Web in the way that there is now. There was no way to connect with other people unless you went out physically and met people. And the very first, within five minutes of going into the bar, the police came in and raided. It was hostile. People went to jail. People found it hard to get work because they were attacked and brutalized by systems of oppression that included police officers. So things have changed. And as we now, young kids can go onto YouTube and turn on their television and see queer characters. There are cartoon characters that are gay, lesbian, bi, queer, trans. And because of that, people can now witness themselves and say, that matches how I feel. And they've successfully exist in this culture. So I have the courage now to step out and exist. Whereas when I was younger, every all the all the shows that or movies that I would go to, like I'm thinking about Breakfast Club and a lot of the Ferris Bueller's Day Off and a lot of stuff that was popular back then, used the word fag. 
in everything. And it was hostile. So you knew you weren't supposed to be. Every message said you shouldn't exist. And that's disappearing. And it's allowing people the freedom to kind of show up in a very different way. I think trans folks have always existed. It's just we're seeing them in greater numbers now as they get more opportunities for equality. They're allowed to have jobs. There are federal protections in ways that never were. So they're allowed to exist without the same level of aggression and hostility. But even going back five years ago in California, you couldn't get a driver's license that designated your appropriate gender unless you had a sex change operation. Now, in California, just five years later, we have a third gender being applied, male, female, and and, and other gender, which allows people the freedom to exist. So as times change, we're just allowed to emerge a little bit more. And as there's more web content, as there's more television content, as people are having more dialogues, as laws are changing, it's forcing us all to exist. And just as a, a kind of an interesting point, if I had to identify a singular thing that shifted everything, that made it so that we could all be visible and out, I think it was AIDS. And I've said this a number of times, and not everybody might agree with me, but I think in America, it was a dirty little secret that every family had queer people. Nobody wanted to acknowledge it. But then when a lot of men started dying and families had to witness the slow, horrible death of some of the boys and brothers and fathers and their families and witness that, it shifted the way we feel. We grew some empathy in having to watch people we knew and care about that we might not have normally known were gay because they lived quiet lives of desperation, I think is a Baldwin quote. Instead, we were forced, went into hospitals and began to die. And that shifted the conversation significantly in terms of humanizing us and making us feel different. And the culture began to shift because they didn't want to brutalize us in that way anymore. That was common and acceptable. And now here we are. Still, the change is too slow, I think, but we're slowly getting the ability to be out and be visible. Mm. Hold hands in public, stuff Mm. like that, that might not have been allowed. It's still dangerous depending on where you are. We're in California, but does that help? It does. And yet, hard to understand when you're not there. Sure. It's just hard. Well, the bathroom instance, you know, I I see a lot of times single bathrooms, which used to say bathroom says all inclusive now. I'm like, we passed one coming to UCI. Was the common thing for my wife is like, well, it was always all inclusive, but I (laughs) suppose that's a a distinction that's being made. I mean, can you shed a little light on that? Because it always was all inclusive, right? No, I don't. So not all single stall bathrooms have always been inclusive. A lot of times they are gendered. They're like, there's usually two single stall bathrooms in most places. And one is for men and one is for, one is for women. And so in theory, anyone should be able to use it. It's just a toilet and a sink in most cases. Right. And so gendering it doesn't make sense in the right. long term. And so by changing phrasing, changing the wording, recognizing that anyone's able to use these bathrooms and making that a uh, clear statement on these bathrooms helps open it up to folks help open their up their eyes like oh you're right all these bathrooms are kind of the same so it makes sense and by changing it and making it a statement that this, these are all inclusive, these are for anyone who wants to go. It's also opening up for folks who may identify as trans or as non-binary and may not feel comfortable going to a gendered restroom. And so folks who maybe are, don't quote unquote pass, like don't, which passing is like a term within the trans community about people can't tell you're trans. So maybe you haven't transitioned yet or you've transitioned to a point where people assume that you're a cis person of that gender. And so you're able to use the restroom, that's fine, but other folks who maybe they get questioned whether or not they're a boy or a girl or things like that happen and so then it's not most folks just want to go to the bathroom and for myself personally like going to the bathroom and being questioned like are you supposed to be here or I've been chased out of bathrooms as well and so having to 
deal with that is difficult. And so having single cell bathrooms being open and being inclusive, not being gendered, makes it easier for anyone to go to the bathroom, really. And it also expands it beyond even gender. Talking about folks who have disabilities, who need to have a more open access single cell bathroom, or folks who maybe need to do an insulin shot for diabetes and stuff like that. A lot of single cell bathrooms tend to have like places to put the shop objects for needles and stuff like that. And so it goes beyond just trans folks, really. It's about creating a more equitable and accessible place for everybody. Does that help? You're still struggling a little bit with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. I gotta be honest. I, I, you know, to be honest, as I'm listening, I'm like, I need to take a class on this. Because <laughs> right. I still, like, for any enlightenment, um, if there is any, by the time you leave, and I'll be like, what did we just say? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's a little... It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. So one of the things that I like to come back to is that I think that a lot of people can... Um, kind of look at the civil rights movements that have occurred in the United States, right? We had women's suffrage, right? And and we still do. We still are, women are still arguably battling for equality. And we have the, basically the Latin movement, right? Um, which was battling for wages. And that's when I was in the 70s and equality. And we've got a lot of black folks in this country. We see every day in the news that there are lots of operational systems that exist that make it very difficult for black people to exist. And if we go back to specific points in times, there was times when we had segregation and certain people were allowed to use certain drinking fountains and certain bathrooms. And in the same way, without malice or without intention, we've created that same segregation in the United States and many places in the globe around gender identity. Bathrooms exist and should be for men and women. The subtext of that, I think, is that what we mean by men and women, many people is, we mean, and I'm going to say a gross word, but real men and women, people that were born women and have grown up and are in dresses and are dressed appropriately as women. And by men, we mean real men, quote unquote. And I think that's an ugly turn. And I'm saying it not to be unkind, but I'm saying because I think that there are people in the culture who really hold on to that. From the time we're in diapers, our rooms are painted blue or pink. And there's strong prescriptions in our culture about how to be a boy or how to be a girl. And then later on, how to grow up and be an adolescent boy or a male or a man or a woman. And we have really strong feelings about that. So kind of what Ash was saying is if my gender isn't 100% clear to people around me, people in our culture feel they have the right to challenge me on that. And they may question me. And we have lots and lots of evidence that's coming out from national longitudinal studies that show the bias and discrimination for trans and non-binary folks. But it is not uncommon. And I'll talk about a specific, I have a friend who is a large lesbian, very tall. She's about my height, six foot. And we go to lunch. And when we go to lunch, at some point, we'll go to bathrooms. And she will, she identifies as a female. And she will go to use the women's room. And I will go into the men's room. And as we go in, inevitably, I can't tell you, out of three out of four times we've been to lunch recently, she, somebody has said to her, sir, you're going into the wrong bathroom. There's no malice in it. There's nothing unkind. She wears her hair short. She calls herself a dyke. She wears masculine clothing. She wears a baseball hat. She doesn't wear makeup. There's a lot of stuff that frames her contextually as a culturally as we would say very masculine looking. And people feel very comfortable saying on a regular basis, you don't belong here. And so that's, I think, what we're trying to get at is I think you're right. I think we don't knowingly say this bathroom is for women and this is men. Anybody should be able to access that. I think philosophically people agree with that. But at a visceral level, people without even consciously thinking about it, our biases come forward and prevent people from basic access to toilets. 
I don't know if that shifts a little bit in terms of how you're thinking about it. Did that? What I heard you saying was she dresses masculinely, but she's a woman, mm-hmm. and she goes to go into the women's bathroom, and somebody will say, oh, no, you got to go in the men's. Right. You're in the wrong place, sir. And, yeah, and she's like, well, no, no I'm a woman. I mean, is that? Uh-huh. Right. But then they're saying, I mean, it's almost like reverse of what it seems like you're trying to achieve. She's going in the women. She's a woman. She's going in the women's. And they're saying, no, no, you're supposed to be in the guys. But now she's a woman in the guys. <laughs> right. It is really hard to get your, you know, with the limited amount of time <laughs> to understand the world right. as it is. Right. This is something that I'm not sure it's very difficult. But yeah. I will say yeah. your example of women's suffrage <laughs> and the civil rights movement, that makes sense. In case you are wondering who you are listening to, I am UCI Conversations host Kevin Bossenmeyer, and I am talking about LGBT issues with Davidian Bishop and Ash Preston. There was a time when, yeah, we would look at it and we would say, this is just the way it is. In time, we've grown to understand, wow, anybody can use a drinking fountain. We don't have to have a bias. Anybody can sit on a bus anywhere they choose to. We had very strong prescriptions that we just thought were right and wrong. And we've evolved. We've gotten to a place where we don't feel the tension around that in the same way. And we can allow people to just exist. That's what we're hoping for. You know, in time, people will not need to have that translation. And one thing that I'd love to put out just for the audience members that are listening is when you meet somebody, don't assume their gender ever. You know, looking at me, people look at me, I have a beard. I have a tendency to wear clothes that is typically male, masculine aligned. But all of my life, I have always felt in the way that Ash described it earlier more fluid in my gender. There are pictures of me as a young boy with super long hair. I was I was assigned male at birth, long hair, and I used to have a Superman outfit that I loved. And sometimes I would take off the, the cape and I would just have the tights on. And I looked, I was mistaken for a little girl. And I, I was always comfortable with that fluid identity. As I got older, there was more pressure to conform, especially in the generation that I grew up in. So I kept to a very masculine identity. That's not how I identify. So for me, as things are changing, it's getting more, it's wonderful for me to be able to go where I want and have conversations where people actually are allowing for me to exist in a way that I couldn't as I was growing up. I think that the students now still struggle with gender identity and people trying to label people. But if we, if we could put any singular thing out, it would be don't assume people's gender, talk to them. And if somebody tells you, I am, I look like this, I have a beard, I'm wearing more masculine clothing, but I tell you that I identify as female, just believe it. I think there's a tendency for us to want to do a translation in our head where you would hear that about me and say, well, what was their gender at birth? What are they really? How are we? And all of that is kind of poisonous to me. What is really useful is if for me and what I try and train people is if somebody tells you that they are whatever, believe them. If you have feelings about that, it doesn't make sense to you. You can think about that on your own, but there's no need to damage the person by unloading your whole challenges around that on it. And the interest, save it for this kind of thing where we're having a forum and a conversation so that we can enlighten folks, but it's not on the backs of people where we're not doing damage to people. Just, I think that that helps a lot as we, as we look at the construction of gender and the challenges in the United States around bathrooms. If we just allow people to do what they want, as long as they're not hurting us, literally harming us or doing something, there's nothing for us and we'll all grow and we'll all stretch. And I think that in about probably 10 to 15 years at most, we're going to look back at this time and the fact that gendered bathrooms were ridiculous. I think that there will be a time where we'll be embarrassed at this point of our history in the same way that we've been embarrassed about drinking fountains and privatizing and keeping certain people at bay. We're all human. We all need the access, but we're learning. 
God. I mean, this could be just a show. I mean, like a <laughs> weekly show. Because um, it's so much, yet really, you know, because, I mean, just to the, back to the bathroom thing, it's like, well, I just want to go to the bathroom where, you know, where there's just guys in there, or mm-hmm. just, you know? But, it, but I don't... Is that... That's not what we're talking about here. That's not... That's is it. Re, is it exactly opposite of that? I mean, is that is that not a right for somebody else? Like, hey, I just want to be able to. I don't know. I you, do you do you see this has this? I can't be the first person to ever say that. Or at no, least. not at all. I think about the challenge, and here's here's another way to reframe it, just as a thought. Mm. So once upon a time, we had people in wheelchairs in our country, and people with that needed crutches or had mobility issues. We've had blind people, and until the ADA laws changed, they didn't have access to bathrooms too. There was no way to get their wheelchairs through doors. It wasn't easy to get up flights of stairs in a wheelchair, or if you're blind, even to find the elevator or the, to know the buttons. Over there was no malice in it. The sighted right. community and the mobile people that had use of their legs and didn't have to use a wheelchair or crutches. I don't think there was any malice on their part to say, we're trying to prevent you from having access to buildings and bathrooms and all the things that we enjoy. But at some point in our culture, we realized this really isn't equal. So we're going to make bathrooms a little wider so wheelchairs can access. We're going to put in some ramps so that wheelchairs can come through and so that people that aren't as able-bodied can functionally move through the world in equivalent ways. And that cost money and it cost resources. And there was a lot of grumbling when the ADA laws first came out about, you know, damn it, now I have to go and put all these braille signs up so that blind people know where the ATM is or whatever. Or why are the street lights beeping now? What's the purpose of that? So I guess my point about all of that is that times have changed and we don't think anything of it now. I have a feeling that it is different for people who are not trans or gender nonconforming, but in 10, 15 years, this will be a big nothing. We'll just have moved forward and evolved. Ash and Davidian, thank you so much for coming. I hope you'll come back again and I'd love to to continue the discussion. There's so much to learn. And what I do recognize is that you do play a role on campus and that this is an important issue for people and that for you guys to be there for our fellow students, fellow staff, where this is an important issue to explore here's your place to explore that and to feel comfortable and to feel welcome and for that i thank you for your effort thank you for inviting us today we appreciate the opportunity thank you so much